Greetings, I'm Dave Gilmore, and this is Design Intelligence. We're here in La Jolla, California at the Design Futures Council Leadership Summit on Technology and Applied Innovation. It's January 2023, and it is gorgeous outside. It's a beautiful day as we're looking at the ocean and the blue sky and the seagulls running around, and it's a it's an amazing place to be. Joining me is Volker Buscher, who is the Chief Data Officer of Arup. And we're just delighted that he's back with us again. Uh, came in from London for this event, has been a key contributor to all that we are doing in this time of discussing data-driven business transformation. Welcome to this edition of This is Design Intelligence, conversations with leadership voices in the built environment. It's great to have you back here with us. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here, not just for the location, also for the discussions and the, the people that you bring together at DFC is fantastic. It's, a, it's a, a wonderful group of thinkers and curious cats who have all come together to delve into some pretty big problems and things that are happening. I find that the big problem is really down to one or maybe two key themes. The first of that is decisiveness, and the second is collaboration. And we've been talking here about being decisive and collaborative with our data, not just inside the walls of our own enterprise, but we've been talking about how do we allow our data to be open and transparent to one another so that we can raise the bar. I, I, I was so taken back by the clarity of a statement that came from Gavin Starks yesterday when he said, the heart of the matter is connect, not collect data. To connect our data is where the value is, not in the collection of the data. As a global chief data officer of a major organization that touches pretty much every place in the world, how do you respond to a statement like that? I'm going to guess it's pretty much the same because you and Gavin are dear friends and, and walk in the same mindset. But I'd love to hear from you on this idea of, of connection versus collection. Yeah, so Gavin and I met about 10 years ago when we served together on the Smart London board. And um, he founded the uh, Open Data Institute with Tim Berners-Lee and, and Nigel. And um, I became, I think, the first corporate sponsor, sort of hiding it a bit in my budgets because nobody in our industry really thought about data, no. never mind open data. Yeah. You know? And um, very quickly, the reason became apparent that the connect and collect is true, but you need to get the balance right if you're a corporate chief data officer. So what we are trying to do with Icebreaker One, which is Gavin's new enterprise, is to reduce the cost and friction in all the key markets that we're operating in, because we know it will enable innovation and transformation across the industry. Uh, we can talk about some examples of that in a second. But that also has an impact on us. So we are still collecting data, but not exclusively. So in the last six months, uh, Earth observation and climate change related data has gone from gigabytes to terabytes as a doubling rate of every four months. So the statement of connect and collect does mean nobody collects data, but you do it in an ecosystem where you can share. So open is about the market openness that you create by being able to share in, in meaningful and machine integrated technical ways. And without that, you just have your own little data strategy. 
however big you are, it is just for us 15,000 people, 15,000 projects, a 2 billion business having a data strategy. It is not open banking, which is now a 20 billion industry after four years and heading to be a 150 billion industry. So we want to be part of that and therefore we do both. We do what we call data infrastructure for market openness, that's the sharing bit, and then we do creativity with data at scale, which is our own strategy. And they are synergetic, they totally work together. So we're, we're here at the Design Futures Council. We spent yesterday in a room with a tremendous group of professionals from across the industry, and we are challenged. We are challenged as an industry, particularly the idea that we are, in my opinion, a cottage industry. We have so many small firms and medium-sized firms and large firms and mega firms, and everyone kind of does their own thing at the end of the day. There's a loose regulation depending on the, the local codes where you're operating within. And competition is stiff to win a commission to do a design of this building or to engineer this this construct that's coming up. And so the idea of open sharing of data, being transparent with one another, raising the bar for our collective client base, it's, it seems like it seems insurmountable at times. And it really is not an, a functional insurmountability is more of an emotional insurmountability, a sense of protectionism, as opposed to just letting it all out. Am I reading that wrong, or or wh what are you seeing? I mean, you've yeah, been I, in this industry a while, and so I think it. I think the there's one misconception that open is just everything is free. It's a free for all. So so yeah. open. What we talk about open is an open market. Yeah, and in an open market, the way data is shared. A is machine integration. So it's not just people emailing each other or using a, a SharePoint site or a Dropbox site and, and do a file exchange, which is common in our industry everywhere. So when you go to an open market, you can machine integrate between companies. The second bit is you have agreed how you share. Some is free, some is open in that sense. Some has got a price or a mechanism attached to the data that sets the value of the data, but it's always driving you towards machine integration. And the price is enabling the market to function better. And then the third one is where you maintain close data where that is required. So the work I did on the Olympics when government changed the security rules for the Olympics, certain data got locked down because that was critical data to secure the event. So you need to be able to do open, shared, and closed. You need to be able to machine integrate, and then you have an open market. And I don't think in our industry we've got an education job to do to people define open better in, in that way. No, I just think that was a great clarification, and I hope that our listening audience really captured that because that is, that is, just, it is just crystal clear now for me. And the second, the second bit that we heard yesterday is our industry is large and small, global, local, multidisciplinary, single disciplinary, listed PLCs with acquisitions who are buying themselves into growth to architects with 50 people who are super creative. But do you believe that the digital ecosystem in Sydney that grew rapidly to 700 companies were all mega companies? No. 
The fintech sector in the UK is now London, Edinburgh, Manchester, Glasgow, and you have five people companies who do data cleansing. You have got online banks now that are eating Bank of America's lunch. So the ecosystem, or what we call the constellation, made a choice of coming together and acting as an organized constellation, an organized ecosystem. And that choice starts with a handful, not with 700. Mm. Now, in our industry, we just haven't yet found the handful who want to make that start and take us into the direction where it can be 700. I think in our industry, it's more likely 7,000, if I'm honest, you know. Mm. But starting by starting still applies to this. It seems, though, that more often than not, the architectural mind, the designer mind, is almost formed to follow whatever the client says. In other words, it's like coin operated. You drop the coin, a certain thing will occur. If nothing happens, it doesn't. In other words, the idea of self-initiating within our professions, true authentic transformation is far the exception than the rule. So let me go to the other side of the equation. What if all of the large client asset owners mandated a certain thing, then of course everybody would get in line because they want to make sure they have a place on the train, right? Yeah. You, you helped me use my German cop-out phrase before as jein. You know, ja at nine, yes and no combined. Yeah. So the asset owners and probably the investors, maybe even the funds, need to be in the room to make this ecosystem work. So the ecosystem has to have input from the top. But if you mandate it entirely, your growth phase is usually very slow because the first reaction of the ecosystem is to go, here's a new mandate, it's asking for compliance. Yes, I'm gonna do that, but will they really lean in? Will they really not just comply, but transform their own organization and invest to create this new value potential? So I think we need a balance of creating ownership for the idea across the value chain with early adopters who believe in the idea and a degree of mandate, you know, in, in regulated industry, we call it a regulatory nudge, you know, that gets people to say, we need to do this too, but not full on burning platform. And then you get all the pushback as a result of that. There's a, there's a middle ground we can find. So we talked about seven to 700, right, in that, in that one example. Or 7,000. Or 7,000. In our event here, where we're gathered together here in La Jolla, there's a few dozen firms represented here, architects and engineers. Is it possible that five or seven of these firms could say, I want to do something. I want to create a micro constellation that says we're going to figure this out. And could that serve as a catalyst? Yeah, totally. So, so Monday will be difficult because I'm going to fly back. But if you call me on Tuesday, we can start. And, and the reason is that the, what we call the trust framework and market architecture, the methodologies, the processes, the definition of that all exists. So the same way as an architect, you know, you need to go from stage A to B, and then you do this, and then you get the structure engineers to do that. You know, you know how to build a super high-rise building or an airport. So we know how to build and execute a trust framework and a market architecture. When I say we, that's 
Icebreaker One and Gavin um, on his advisory board, so it's my, my other head as a, as a board member there. So we know how to execute this if there is an early constellation wanting to start. The second bit is the technology to achieve machine integration exists. So the means to actually work in that way, we don't have to invent the technology. We need to find the value, you know, we need to find what we want to solve and, and go deeper and why we want to do that. But the methodology and the means are both readily available. So it's just a question of wanting to start. Extraordinary. You know, there's so many excuses for not starting, isn't there? Always is. But yeah. remember, banking, and we hear about that this morning, started by removing friction, for example, in the way bank transfers happened between banks. That wasn't transformational. But that was a good start, and it solved the understanding of the methodology and the technology. Roll forward a few years. At the time when we started, or when banking started, you needed 100,000 people to do 10 million loan default decisions, and it probably takes between two weeks and two months to make a loan default decision. Now that you have open markets and open banking, you do 100 million loan default decision with 10,000 people. You completely flip this around. You're more profitable, you've got a better business, you transform the whole market and the customer experience. So people also need to start to believe there's a price worth starting with. And I think what we can do maybe with DFC and with the people in the room is sort of imagine the first step, the removal of friction and a bit of the vision so that people stay locked in and they go the journey. They don't just do that first step. Because we are known a little bit in tech and digital to go start, stop, start, stop, start, stop. And we want to go start and then scale and then grow. Right. Fantastic. Uh, we've been talking a lot about security and resilience. And we've stuck those words together at Design Intelligence of late, calling it resilient security. As we've watched so much episodic security that comes and goes. But how, when we're talking about data, I had asked Gavin Starks the same question, when we're talking about data and we're watching what's happening in the wide, wide world around intrusion and cyber insecurity more than anything else, how are we contemplating in this new ecosystem the assurance of what we'll call resilient security? So I think there are three levels actually to that. Cyber security has to be assured. You know, you have to protect the data. You cannot build a trust framework and, and not do all you can do to protect the data. But to our industry, that is not new. You know, like, like I said, the Olympics, you know, security was massive. Uh, when we work on nuclear decommissioning, security is massive. When we design airports, security is massive. So as an industry, we are not afraid of dealing with security. So we just have to build that in from the outset. The resilience issue, I think that's a really interesting question that I don't think has been unpacked enough. So if you build a highly integrated, machine integrated system, you can also create brittleness potentially, like we saw with the flight situation here just this week. Um, if you have a decentralized system though, like the web, you probably increase your resilience because it's hard to see how a decentralized system goes down. But there are certain bits you need to really look after well. So resilience needs some thinking. And then the, the third is in, in when you really work with big data and machine learning, people have a tendency to, to really use the technology to find efficiency all the time. 
And, and at that point, you create almost a new resilience risk because there is no slack left. You found every waste in your organization or every waste in the supply chain, and all of a sudden you're so lean that any shock to the system brings you to a collapse. It's like a marathon runner who's like at the end of his bid, and there's no energy, there's nothing left in there. And if there's a little trip or if there's a little uh, step they can't take, they are out. So we, we need to think a little bit about this super efficient machine learning and AI world on, on how to maintain also some capacity for shocks in the system because they don't go away as we're seeing right now. Post-COVID, urban agglomeration is going to change. Uh, climate change, air quality, you know, that's, an, I mean, we, we haven't even started talking about that. We, we can now give you in London, and we think in multiple cities with a partner, a 20 by 20 meter air quality grid. That will change everything. That means you build a house or a property and you know every day of the week the air quality at the entrance of that building. Now, when employees find that out, who would want to go into a building that isn't good. Yeah. Right, so right, changes behaviors altogether. Yeah. So this data thing is going to roll on, and and yeah. Sorry, I got a bit tracked. No, no, no. It's, it's a very exciting conversation. So today we're going to gather together with our group here at the Design Futures Council, and we've got some some challenges for our our participants. We're going to do some significant workshopping and breaking out. We are challenging them with literally an assessment of their own readiness and having a collaborative discussion with one another about bridging the gaps of readiness. How do you think today's going to go? So last year we talked about value and we talked about emerging technologies and how they create a new value system. And, and the people in the room were, were a bit sort of classic in their response. Yeah? So the tech guys were going, yeah, this is what we've talked about, but people don't listen to us, you know. I need more money, I need more time, I need more whatever, I need to be on the board, you know. And the executives in the room were like, whoa, this is complicated. Do I need to do all of this at the same time or over time or how do I do this? So this year we'll, we'll, we'll flip this around a little bit. Uh, we will talk about what is your role how do you own this as an executive and how do you start? Because you don't start with 700, you start with seven. You don't start with loan default decisions in two minutes with zero people being involved. You start by improving a transaction between two companies. So starting by starting and understanding the role of the leader in doing that is what we talk about. But we also want to find the 10 brave souls who say, we start by starting and we want to get to 700 or 7,000. We want to achieve data-enabled business transformation in our company and in the industry. Like we heard yesterday, Lucasfilm, you know, they did the new movie, they used all the technology, they won the Oscar, and they were a different business at the end from when they started. This is fantastic. We have so much more to talk about. And I think that you and I and Design Intelligence uh, podcast series will continue through this adventure in 2023. Volker, it is just a pleasure to have you back with us. Mm, Dave, no, I'm enjoying this. Fantastic. Fantastic to be here. Thank you for joining us for this edition of This is Design Intelligence. The producer is Laura Spells. 
The sound engineer is Jared Knabel. This has been a DI Media Group production.